I can tell you the million dollar story, but everybody does that. What they don't tell you is who you get to become while attracting whatever level of money that you want. If you miss the who you become, then you become the person who puts a bullet into their brain. Maybe not physically, but you'll do it with the alcohol. You'll do it with the sex. You'll do it with the porn. You'll do it with the excuses. You'll do it with the overcompensation. My thing is, you actually don't need all of that, but you do need all of you. When you have all of you and you believe wholeheartedly and you're living from inside out and you're using joy as your compass, your life will always match. It has to. It's a law. Whatever the health of the seed determines the growth of the tree and the fruit that it produces. What is up, you sexy bastards? It is your boy, Hot Sauce, a.k.a. Rabbi Can't Lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talk to author, friend, and entrepreneur, Garen Jones. His story is literally unbelievable. He went from selling drugs, going to prison in Europe, living in his car, to signing a $500,000 record deal with Ludacris, starring in a Beyonce music video. Yes, you can go Google it and see him. And becoming a successful author and coach and making a big impact on the world. That's literally his story. It's not fiction. And after living through so many challenges, he is committed to creating a healthier and happier life for himself. Now he helps other people do the same thing. Check out his programs. You can learn more about Garen on his website, garenjones.com. That's G-A-R-R-A-I-N jones.com. And his book, which I've read, and actually was really impressed how much better it was than I expected. It's Change Your Mindset, Change Your Life, Lessons of Love, Leaders and Transformation. There's a lot of interesting tactics and mindsets and stories in there. I think you're gonna really enjoy his book. If you ever wanna learn about how to transform your life from jail to successful entrepreneur, you're gonna love this episode. Here's three gigantic things you're gonna take away. One, how Garen got a record deal with Ludacris after going to prison for smuggling heroin. Two, how the scales he failed at in the past made him able to build a multi-million dollar business. And three, why did losing his freedom actually set him free? Enjoy those three things, plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. This interview is part of an upcoming video where we interview a bunch of college dropouts to see if they regret their decision. Go subscribe to my YouTube channel to see the video, youtube.com slash okdork, so you can see it when it comes out. Also, if you're looking to start a growing online business, you have got to get your software from appsumo.com slash Noah. Also, if you're a solopreneur, freelancer, agency, coach, and you are looking to start or grow your own online business, go to appsumo.com slash Noah. Join our newsletter. We promote insane software deals at insane prices to help you become successful in your business. Also, a special pre-show shout out to listener Mitko of Bulgaria. He left reviews saying, insightful, a ton of value. Keep rocking. You know what, Mitko? You keep rocking and every other one of you gorgeous listeners. If you want to shout out in a future episode, y'all know what to do. Leave a review wherever you listen to this. I check every single one of them. We're here with Garen Jones. What's up, Garen Jones? What's up, brother? How are you doing, man? I haven't seen you in like a year. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. Today, we're going to ask you, so can you tell us about your business or what you're known for? Garen Jones, I'm a powerful force of love and freedom, inspiring greatness within myself and others. I lived in my car for two and a half years, went everywhere from modeling to singing to music to drug running, got caught, was in prison. And then I got out, turned over a new leaf in my life, learned about personal growth, got healthy, started getting mentors, started doing what they were doing. And then I look up and I'm doing and I'm starting to make money. And then uh, health and wellness business, seven figures, coaching business, seven figures, now retreat business, almost at seven figures. So I think it's safe to say I know how to create it in a way where it's impacting lots of people and creates the kind of revenue where me and my whole team is continuously eating. How were you in school? I graduated second from the bottom in a class of a thousand people. And this is a fact. 
I cheated my way through high school. I had to take summer school over and over and over just to pass because for something, for some reason, deep down inside, I feel like this doesn't feel right. And I got in trouble for a lot of things that I now get paid millions of dollars for. And it was so crazy because even in high school, I got 62 discipline slips in one year. Every time I got a discipline slip, they'd write me up and they say, student disrupting class. Ask me what I was doing. What were you doing? Singing. No one in my life saw, even in times of getting in trouble and getting kicked out of school, he kept doing the same thing. Singing is a form of expression. So I kept trying to put myself out there. Then I'd come home and my mom was a big fan of shut up. So like my expression, self-expression was being suppressed. So in school, I felt like even when I wanted to be myself, that they were trying to box me into something. And I didn't have the awareness to know what was actually happening. So I was seen as the hard-headed, the troublemaker, the guy that would just influence people to do like bad things because I used to break into cars and all this other stuff. But it was a form of expression. doesn't matter if it was good or bad. There was energy inside of me that wanted to come out. So you fast forward, you know, me dropping, like I went to college. I was like, yo, for like maybe half a semester. I'm like, this ain't it. I don't think I belong in a classroom with no windows. Something didn't feel right. So I ended up making the world my classroom and learning more about life. And life became my university. So people's like, you, you went to college? Yeah, I went to CFLU. They're like, what's that? College of Life University. I've gotten A's, I've gotten F's, but I keep learning and I keep having a really awesome teacher called Life, I'm going to kick your ass, <laughs> whether you like it or not. I'm going to life you whether you like it or not. That's what it was like in school, but I just turned it on its head and I made school actually work for me in a way where I could actually prosper and not just come out basic and average. I'm not saying everybody else does, but a lot of people I went to school with it's almost like school stripped them of their true identity and their true expression. Kind of hard to bounce back from that when you forget yourself. So, Han, how do you get second to last, though? You didn't, you tried not hard enough to get last place? Oh, I didn't try at all. <laughs> no, but you like not do any of the, the work? Well, I didn't, I wasn't in a, when they show you where you're ranked. Yeah, man. I wasn't being like, oh, let me get last. I wasn't like a you know, NFL or a NBA team <laughs> trying to tank. It was just, this is what it's like when I don't care and I lack effort and I skip school and I get kicked out of school and I just don't care. Like I'm not doing the homework. What were you doing? So like, what were you doing during high school? Did you have a plan? Did you have like side hustles? Were you trying to make money? My trying to make money was breaking into cars, breaking into houses. And I did it and I did it very well. And it got to the point where I influenced other people. And before I knew what influence was, me breaking into cars and going, well, I used to call it the white neighborhood, but it was just the neighborhood of the wealthy neighborhood and it was a bunch of white people there. You know, I was this young kid talk. So I'd go over to that na the neighborhood. They never locked their cars. So I would just open up, take whatever was valuable, and then I'd sell it at school the next day. So that was my hustle. What's the like most memorable or any scary or wild story during that period? Breaking into 60-something cars in one night and... Me just riding high off life thinking I'm the big shit. And I go to Sharpstown Mall with all of this money, some of the money that I found in a, in a car, in a bank bag. By the way, don't leave your car open and don't leave a bank bag. Don't leave your guns in your car. 
Don't leave your, your radios in your car. Because people like me would have taken it. So I'm at Sharpstown Mall going to buy big link jewelry. Jewelry, like gold. And I want the big fat chain. I was like, I'm not going to use the cash. I'm going to use this credit card. I had somebody to pose as my dad because I was totally underage. And I used the credit card, which was one of the credit cards I stole from a car the night before. And then I go and then I buy this jewelry. So I got like $2,000 worth of gold in my hand. Soon as I'm leaving, a cop comes up. He goes, oh, that's some nice jewelry. Who bought it for you? And you know, like when somebody catches you in a lie, how you start stuttering. I'm like, oh, oh this is my, my dad's card and everything. So it's like, it was like one question after the other, after the other. And here's the worst part. I was already on probation for doing the same thing. So you get caught on probation, you're going to jail. So ultimately, I ended up getting caught and they found out that it was stolen. I confessed to everything. They put me in juvenile. I was in there for six and a half months, but they were trying me as an adult, as a 14-year-old. And I didn't start puberty till I was 18, so I was a little kid for a long time. So I'm in juvenile, not thinking I'm going to get out. So the process is you're going to be in juvenile, be tried as an adult. They're going to ship me off to TYC, which was a prison for teenagers. And then that's when they'll try me as an adult, as a 14-year-old. Scariest time of my life. I'm in line one day. You're not supposed to get out of line. And there's a guy black guy, gold trim glasses, khakis, white shirt. And I remember something, what I now know is my intuition. Something says, go ask him how you can get out. I wasn't supposed to get out. And I was like, how, how do I get out of prison? He was like, do you know the Lord's prayer? And in my head, I'm like, that's stupid. I'm like, no. He, he handed me this little orange Bible. He said, when you learn the Lord's prayer, that's when you'll get out. And I held on to the Bible. And I was like, it's so stupid. I didn't throw it away, but I just kept it. And I kept it and I still wouldn't. And I still wouldn't. And then one day I just said, you know what? I'm going to learn the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, Lord in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I kept repeating it over and over and over. The day before they were about to ship me off to prison for teenagers, I recited it in a way that hit me different. It was almost like the words became a part of me. And then I recited again. All of a sudden there was a knock on my door. I recited it without, the, without having to look at the little orange Bible. Knock on my door. Jones, today's your lucky day. You're getting out. And let me out. One of the craziest stories. Because uh, I'm curious to hear as well, you were in prison. You said this was scarier than prison, <laughs> which we'll, we'll get to. Did you graduate high school? I graduated high so school. So you graduated high school and you went to college for a semester. What were you thinking? And then did you have a plan when you dropped out? Or why did you decide to drop out? I knew it wasn't for me. I didn't have the awareness that I have now. But I was like, Something about this doesn't feel right. I'm like learning this stuff. I'm like, how can I apply E equals MC? Like whatever that the E, like these little letters, like square root. How can I apply this? Like I know I'm supposed to be on stage somewhere. I always knew that. I didn't know how. I didn't know I would be doing what I was doing now. But I always knew I was supposed to like do something that was like motivating people. I wanted to be a superhero when I was a little kid. Abs like an action figure, stronger than the average man. Save and change lives all over the world. I've been saying that since I was five. And I was like, this doesn't make sense. The only thing I was drawn to was psychology. And it was so easy. I'm like, I don't know how I know this stuff. I just know it. It's so funny. I use so much psychology inside of transformational healing and all the different modalities I use to work with people and, and breaking through and finding that peace and joy in their life. So I just left. 
I didn't say nothing to anybody. I didn't really have a plan. And I was just like, I don't really know what I'm going to do. So I started sleeping with all these women and doing what a lot, a lot of high school kids do. And not high school, but college kids do. Then one day somebody said, you should be a model. But they were joking. Don't joke with me because I, I have this prove it thing. I, I'll, I'll prove you wrong. So to make them feel shitty about like making me feel small, oh, you, sh- you should be a model. I looked up every modeling agency in Los Angeles and there was 15 of them. And I put the easy ones first that I knew I could get in and the hardest ones last, Ford and Wilhelmina. And the very first one I thought I was going to get in, I got rejected. And that crushed me, bro. I was like, what? Then I went to the next one, rejection, rejection, rejection. So first day, I was like, well, I'm not going to stop. Next day, rejection, 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 rejection. Next day, rejection, rejection. I get, and everybody keeps saying, we already have somebody that looks like you. I'm like, because at that time, they only had one dark skin male model and then one light skin male model with colored eyes on every modeling board. So if they already have a light-skinned guy, it's different now. Back in 2001, 2000, if they already have one, they don't need to bring on another one. You know, and I personally experienced this. They would look at me. We already have somebody that looks like you. And literally look at me and my, and my photos for less than 45 seconds. So I'm on my 13th rejection. I go to Ford. They say the same thing. Then Wilhelmina, which was the hardest agency to get into. They got David Beckham. They got Beyonce. They got all these celebrities. They got so many people. I'm like, I don't look like nobody. I got freckles. I'm shorter than everybody. The going rate for the male model at that time was 6'4". I was 5'9". So I didn't belong in nobody's agency. And I remember saying, I don't look like nobody. I'm a black boy. I got freckles. My hair was like twisted. I don't look like nobody. So finally... I wasn't even going to go to the last one. And then a voice says, Gary, you've come this far. Keep going. So I get in there. There's a cattle call. It's like 60 people. And I'm watching other models come from different agencies that were already on billboards and commercials. They get rejected, rejected. So I'm watching. Not only did I get rejected over three days, I'm watching all of these rejections. And right before it was my time to go, I say, you know what? If they don't use me, then they don't use me. Then I go up there. First thing they said, we'd love to represent you. You don't look like any of our models. So my insecurity was the thing that they were looking for. And that, they sent me on Destiny's Child Jumpin' Jumpin' video, Skechers campaign, the Buckle campaign. That same day, I went on Skechers campaign, Buckle campaign audition, and I didn't even make the Destiny's Child Jumpin' Jumpin' video audition because I was on a bus pass. They called me the next day, congratulations, you booked all three. I said, even the Destiny's Child is like, yeah, Beyonce just happens to be with the agency and she walked in, saw your card on the wall and handpicked your card and said, I want him to be my love interest. What was the moment you decided? Can you tell me the moment you decided to drop out? And then how did your friends and family react? I kind of was distant from everybody. I kind of was just distant. I was distant from my brother. They didn't really know what I was going on. And I was also faking for a lot of people. They're like, oh my God, he's going to be a big star in L.A. So I was playing that and I didn't really tell people what I was going to do. I remember being in class and they're teaching me something. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense to me. It's difficult, but I don't see how I can apply this in the things that I want to do in my life. I know I'm supposed to be on stage. So I just decided not to go back. That was it. 
I just literally, I'm not going to go back. Were you scared or how'd you feel? How are you feeling after that? I would say I wasn't unfamiliar from the land of the unknown. I wasn't unfamiliar to that feeling. So I wouldn't say I was scared. I would say that it hit a pit in my stomach because I didn't know what I was going to do. But I knew for sure that classroom wasn't where I was supposed to be. I knew for sure I didn't have the education that I have now or the articulation. Everything inside of me says I'm not supposed to be here. So I left. Then you just like drove to L.A. because somebody had challenged you, said you couldn't be a model. Not drove to L.A. I was at another school. I was in Barton County Community College. And before I went to L.A., before I went to Santa Monica College, I was at Barton County. And I, it's the first, my first year of like having sex with women because girls didn't like, like me in high school because I was so short. I was like the little kid. And so when I got to college, your boy was wild. And I went there on a partial track scholarship and I was missing certain practices and everything. And coach said, you're no longer on the team. So he kicked me off the team. I didn't know what I was going to do. Another coach from Los Angeles knew that I was fast and knew that, you know, that I had a certain time that would fit well at the school. So he recruited me from that school. I get there. I'm doing the same thing. I'm just like, yo, I'm, I'm not supposed to be here. What were some of these challenges early on? So you got rejected from all these modeling agencies. What other kind of struggles and uh, problems did you face early in your career? I come from a family that didn't have any money. I could always make money, but I didn't know how to keep it. I didn't know how to sustain it. It was almost like as much as I would make as, was as much as I would lose really fast. I didn't have real respect for women. So I'd like cheat on every girlfriend that I had. I'd lose friends left and right because I'm always trying to find a way to in the past, always trying to find a way to get over on them. Those were major problems. But the biggest problem was myself, my own belief. Like coming from a family where I didn't feel like I was loved, my mom did the best she could with what she knew. And my father was murdered. I wasn't a gang member, but I, all of my friends were gang members. So I, ran, I grew up doing the things that they were doing and running the streets. So you have that background. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now go live life. I never had anybody to show me anything other than how I grew up. So my whole life was difficult. My thoughts were difficult. Being a friend with me looked great on the outside, but then there was just like little sneaky, just like little manipulative ways that I did when it came to women, when it came to stealing, when it came to doing anything that I can to make money. And I could see why people kind of distanced themselves away from me. It made all the sense in the world. So where did you learn? Like if you didn't go to college or you didn't go from your family, like where are you? Where did the college or the life university teach you? Where did you learn these things? I'm only saying this uh, as I connect the dots looking back. You can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only create possibility. But as I kept growing through life, ever so often there were these books. Somebody would be like, oh, have you heard The Secret? You Secret, The Secret, The Secret. I'll, I'll listen to The Secret. But I didn't know that just even by listening to it or reading, reading the book. I didn't know what I was reading. That, that language was way over my head. And all of a sudden, these good things would just start happening. But I didn't know that it was because of what I was putting in my mind. So just as fast as I attracted, whatever was happening was just as fast as I lost it. Because anytime a lot of great things would happen, my ego would be like, I'm the shit. You can't tell me nothing. And I didn't know the ego is the thing that would literally kill everything. Oh, yeah, I am the shit. Oh, yeah, I do look good. And so that happened with modeling, that happened with music, 
It happened with so many different things that I did. There would be the rise. The ego would come in. Oh, I'm, I'm, you can't tell me nothing. Yeah, I'm good. I know I'm good. And it would fall. The rise and fall of all of that. I didn't know I was learning lessons because I kept failing the same test over and over and over and over and over again. Until 2011, that's when I picked up my first personal development Jim Rohn philosophy book, then started studying John C. Maxwell, and then started going to leadership programs. And I'm like, man, I've heard these words before, and I'm hearing them talk about success, and I'm hearing them talk about gratitude, and hearing them talking about leaders are readers. And something internally was like, you're supposed to be here. I wasn't successful because I lacked the drive. I always had drive. I just never knew where to put it. So being around other successful people and being around leadership communities and being around healthy, active lifestyle communities that I was introduced to in the lowest point of my life when I was living in my car, that was the time I looked up and I said, well, maybe I can't change everyone else, but maybe I can change something about me. And I'm in my car at 2011. This is where everything, everything turned on its head. 2011. So imagine getting out, 2005, and then going up and down from couch to couch to girl's house to couch, 2011, 3.43 in the morning. Okay, I'm tired of fighting. I don't want to fight anymore. I want to be healthy. I want to be happy. I want to be surrounded by nothing but positive people. I just want to inspire people. And I want to make a bunch of money, but I want the money to represent something that I passionately believe in that I would do for free. Just show me a sign. A week later, I'm at a gas station and a homeless guy asked me for money. And I said, you have more money than me. And he said, change your mindset, change your life. And it was that moment right there, that defining moment. So if my mind is set on something, then that's why the result is what it is. So if I do different, but the same circumstance, my life will change from that day. Every time I don't feel like doing something, train myself how to do the opposite. So my life is a direct flip from where I was in 2011. You were alone a lot, huh? You're like alone. Yeah. Because like your dad's gone. Your brother I don't, doesn't sound like your mom's back. You're in LA alone. You, and you're, let me try to understand your career. You're in jail for two and a half years. Yep. You do modeling for a few years. I did modeling first. First, then you did. Then I do jail. Then I try to do modeling again, but I was too big. Then I got into music. Then I got into health and wellness. And in your music career, you had a contract with Ludacris? Or? Yep. So when I got out of prison, the songs that I wrote while I was in prison, my brother D-Ray, he hosts the improv in LA. Instead of him putting up a comedian, he said, my, my little brother just got out of prison. And he puts me up, he's a singer, and I sing a song. I didn't know who was in the audience. Jermaine Dupree and Ludacris just happened to be in, in the audience. And then he asked me, do I have any other music? Well, in order for me to stay at my brother's house, he said, you want to be a singer, right? I said, yeah. He said, don't come home unless you have a song. I'm like, well, I don't know a producer. I don't, I don't. He's like, you want to be a singer, right? Don't come home unless you have a song. 30 days, I had 28 songs. I went on MySpace before spam happened, and I hit up every music person ever. And I didn't have any music. All I had is shirtless pictures from my modeling. Guy named John Henry brought me into the studio. I took that one song, I posted it on, on MySpace, and then 30 days, 28 songs. When Ludacris asked me, did I have any other music? 
I handed him my 28 songs. Two months later, I had a $500,000 record deal with DTP Def Jam. What was the most memorable story or memorable story from prison? How I got out. You're going to hear a lot of these memorable things. It kind of mirrors my juvenile story, but at a 20x scale. So I'm serving a 12-year sentence. And you got caught for what? Smuggling 6.2 kilos of heroin. I didn't know it was heroin. I just knew I was driving a car over a ferry and making money. So I was only focused on the money. Where were you driving? Like where? From like Mexico to America? No, no, no. From, uh, I, was in, I was in Europe. So from London to the ferry to Rotterdam. So I did the route seven times. Bro, it's crazy. My How do you even get crazy. that gig? Is it on posted on like Craigslist no, no, no. gigs? Like looking for a driver? Bro, telling more of my okay, story. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay, okay. So you have this great job. Great, so great I, used to, I used to date Miss France 2000. She was my girlfriend in France. And so I'm over there. She's out of town. Oh. When she's out of town, I'm at a nightclub. When I'm at the nightclub, I see some people I've seen in the clubs in LA. I didn't know them, but I knew they were up to no good. But they always had the girls. They had the nice cars. And I always knew I was supposed to have that. So I connect with them, tell them I know them from LA. And anybody who's ever been to another country, if you're in a foreign speaking country and you speak the same language as something, your connection goes up 10x. So I connect with them. And there's only so much I could say, but I will share with you this because it's already out on, you know, there's two documentaries on VH1 and, um, Discovery Channel about my prison story out right now, circulating. And so you were supposed to serve 12 years. Yeah. So here's the crazy story. So I'm driving. This time they had me fly into France. I go and fly into France and everything about it felt wrong, bro. Everything about it. It's like when you know something is off and the universe is sending you all kind of signs, I'm not paying attention. Stop. Tire flat. Stop. And I keep going because of my greed for money. So I drive and I get to the border and the thing that worked all seven times, this time it didn't work because I used, what are you coming to the country for? Oh, I'm a model. I'm a this. I was on the cover of a magazine. And people were like, well, why were you doing all this when you were on billboards? I was like, anything, you know, anything about modeling, you do a job, six months later, you get your check. I never made fast money, right? Away money. So I get there and everything is different. I'm like, they're not taking the thing that they always take when they let me in the country. They say, we need to x-ray your vehicle. Bubble guts, bro. They take these Congo drums out of the car. They're Congo drums. They're like, oh, what are these Congo? I was like, oh, I'm a musician. This is now, I'm spinning this web of lies because I know I'm doing something bad. I don't know exactly what it is, but I know I'm doing something bad because don't nobody pay you 4,000 pounds just to drive a car over a border. So I knew I was doing something bad. I didn't know the depth of it. So I get there, they x-ray the Congo drums, and they make me watch it. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at these shadow-like things inside of the Congo drums. They open up the Congo drums, and there's, there was these yellow bricks. It ended up being 6.2 kilos of heroin, the most anti-drug person you will ever meet. I've never had a sip of alcohol. And so now, with billboards, in Times Square, music videos out, commercials with Old Navy, all this stuff happening. My career is on the up and up. My greed had me in a situation where I'm facing 12 years in prison because I, bu I got busted for 6.2 kilos of heroin. So I'm in prison for a whole year before they even sentence me. It's very different than America. 
you're guilty and you got to prove yourself innocent. You caught me with 6.2 kilos of heroin. They tested the drugs three times. So I'm going to close it with this. Knowing that I wasn't supposed to get out for 12 years, I started asking myself, instead of saying, why did I, man, I messed up so bad. I said, what can I do in here that I wouldn't normally do out there? So I started thinking different. They allowed us to watch Shawshank Redemption, which is a movie that's based out of prison. Anthony Dufresne, Tim Robbins, he said they could take anything they want away from me, but they can't take away my mind. That moment, I became a free man. Because I was like, oh, well, then no one can take away my freedom. So all these people out here in modern day saying, oh, I'm fighting for freedom. Can't nobody take away your freedom. You're fighting for something you've never given yourself. So in losing my freedom, I actually discovered my freedom. And I said, well, what would a free man do? And instantly a voice said, everything you used to love to do when you were a little kid that brought you the most joy. So I started painting again. I started drawing portraits and other inmates. They asked for portraits because I was a great drawer. So I'm drawing portraits, spreading my joy. I was singing every day. Inmate says, man, every time you sing, but they're saying this in French. So I learned fluent French. Every time you sing, it makes me feel free. So he's in the cell across. I just kept singing because I was already happy, spreading my joy. Next thing you know, in the yard, they call it promenade in France. You walk around one hour in the morning, two hours in the afternoon. Where they, I've seen fights, stabbings, drug deals, all kind of stuff. Walking around, a little voice says, Garen, run. You love to run. So I start running. Running is my greatest joy, not for workout, not for abs. It just brings me the most joy. I start running. 30 days. 62 inmates were running with me. There was less fights, less drug deals, less stabbings. Now here was the invisible influence. I became a free man and I gave that freedom to myself. And when I felt free, when I embodied the characteristics of my most highest joyful state, they magically called me into the office and they said, we retested the drugs, which they had no reason to retested the drugs that they tested three times, 6.2 kilos of heroin. We retested the drugs, 90% was fake. And for the amount that was real, you've already done the time, you're free to go home. Connecting the dots, looking backwards. My own freedom overflowed inside of me and gave other people permission. And it was too big for the space, like a baby that's too big for the womb. So what once grows on the inside is now produced on the outside called birth. So the Garen that was on the inside was too big for the womb of prison produced on the outside called freedom. How did you go from walking out of Freeman? Were you in France or in, in Amsterdam? I was in France, but they, they had cuffs on me until I reached American soil. So once I reached American soil, I was officially free. I believe you, have, you did Herbalife, right? Or that's a big part of it. Yeah. You made a lot of money doing Herbalife? Yeah. How did you go from Freeman prison handcuffs off in America to creating that business? Well, that was the first place I learned about personal growth, that change your mindset, change your life philosophy. It led me to that because that was something I would never do. Multi-level marketing, I would never do anything like that. But remember when I said, when the guy said, change your mindset, change your life, the homeless guy, I then started doing the opposite of everything that I would normally do. So that was a part of the opposite when somebody presented me with the opportunity. And then reading books was a part of the opposite. Going to seminars was a part of the opposite. Being healthy was a part of the opposite. So I started training myself to do the opposite in areas of my life where I wasn't happy. 
and it's difficult for people to change. So how did I change so easily? I started with little things. I would use gel soap, change your mindset, change your life. I'll use bar soap. Normally, I will use the escalators, change your mindset, change your life. I would take the stairs. So I started doing little things like that, but the object in motion stays in motion. I didn't know this because you can't see the picture while you're in the frame. So then as that snowball starts going called doing the opposite, I already had too much momentum. So no matter what it was, I was already, I can do the opposite. You want to go to this nightclub that you've always been going to and chase down these women? Nah, because there's already momentum of doing the opposite. So that's what led me into the first company, which led me into the next company, which led me into bigger, better, faster, stronger, speaking on stages and doing all these things. So it was, it was less about the company. And that's why the people like, oh, if I just do what he did, don't, don't do what I do, follow the mentality. And this is the person that kept getting knocked down and he kept getting back up. He kept answering to the call. He kept showing up. I never backed down, even when it was difficult. And if people can borrow the mentality, even in whatever it is that you're in right now, you can change the frequency that you're vibrating at. And who you are is what attracts money, love, intimacy, influence, all these different things. So I learned over time, it didn't matter the platform. Because even when I was in prison, I was doing the same thing that I'm doing now. I just was unaware of what I was doing back then. Now I'm like, oh, there's something in my heart that says, when you do this, it sparks joy inside. But I'm talking about little Garen joy, the little kid. Before life life's you, there's a little Noah that always wanted to do this, that always wanted to be this. And it's connected to something. Mike couldn't uh, articulate it when you were a little kid. So what I learned how to do is retrace my steps and get back to little Garen when he was the happiest, when he was the most passionate, had all the freedom in the world, when he was so confident, when he was fully expressed, was taking those risks, unstoppable energy. And that is who I call the artist. Everybody has an artist inside of them. And when you unlock your artist, it releases the power. And that's what creates artist power. So I teach people how to awaken the artist within. A little more clarity from there. You, okay. you get your handcuffs off. <laughs> I get my handcuffs no, I, off. But the, and then this, an Herbalife, I think, was your first major business, right? Well, handcuffs off, ludicrous. <laughs> <laughs> Two months after I get out of prison, I get the record deal. How'd you ruin that? I'm not saying you ruined it. But you said no, I left that. They were like, we're not going to change anything about your style. And then all of a sudden, they're sending me record this and do this and do this kind of beats. And, and I felt my style changing. So I'd already had this fan base. And then all of a sudden, my fans were like, yo, your, your style of music, that's not. So my fans were giving me confirmation that I was changing the very thing. They said, we're not going to change anything about you. And then they want me to change. And next thing you know, I'm on, on stage with gangster rappers. Have no issue with that. The thing about it is I, I, I did like feel-good bubblegum pop music. It didn't fit the brand. It fit the, the DTP brand, but it didn't fit the reason why they signed me. So this happens, and when I feel myself trying to be like everyone else, I'm like, this ain't worth it. Nothing in the world that is worth me not being myself. So I walked away from that deal. Han, you just get out of jail. Yeah. Your modeling thing didn't work out. Well, I get out of jail in 2005. I get the deal in 2007, but it took a while to do the deal. You finally get this deal. Like, this is what everyone dreams about. If you're in the music industry, you dream of the big-ass deal. 
you get a half million dollar deal with one of the best rap, not the best, but like a super popular rapper. I love yeah. Ludacris. And then you say, oh, no, it's not for me. Well, think about this. You look at people like Michael Jackson and then look at him over a span of years and just look at his physiology. Look at Lady Gaga and then look at her when she first came in, then look at her five years later. Look at damn near any artist who doesn't own all of their rights, who doesn't make all of their beats. Look at them five years later. There's something going on that somehow didn't make sense to me that matched the same thing for the reason why I left college. Something doesn't feel right. All of my favorite artists five years later, and I was behind the scenes. So y'all got to see what's on TV. I got to see what was behind the scenes and it was very ugly. So I caught on really quickly. I'm like, oh, I actually don't want to be a part of this. I would rather give all of my music away than to sell my soul and turn into this. That's what I walked away from. But did you have something set up? What did you do after this music thing? I said I was just going to do it independently. I wasn't making any money, but I loved the recognition. So I'm just like doing little things here and there, just riding off of like a little bit of celebrity. They're like, oh, Ludacris is on. But they, people don't really know that I like dropped, uh, I, I left the label. And so I would get money and then I also wrote songs for other people. So like little ASCAP money was coming in and it was just enough. You know, I had a girlfriend at the time. And so she was a singer and she'd go on tour. So I just went on tour with her. So I was just like, you can call it freeloading. I was like, I didn't have nowhere to stay because I wasn't making any money. Well, if you ain't making any money, you're trying to make it in LA. I can go and do what I used to do. So my thing was with that money, with the money I got for my signing contract, I bought a Jeep Wrangler, like full cash. Like it was $34,000. I got $50,000 for my, is a partial signing bonus. If my, if my album had come out, I would have gotten $500,000. Album never came out. So I was just like an underground artist with one song on the radio. And so when all of that happened and I ended up leaving, after a while, no money coming in, mom dying in the hospital, daughter pretty much disowning me, girlfriend breaking up with me, that was life hitting me so freaking hard. What do you do when everybody thinks that you are this person and deep down inside, you don't even want to fucking live? Like I tried to take my life twice. It wasn't just like, oh, I just left. And I was like, no, nah, it was hard. But I tell you the the straw that broke the camel's back, and I'm not going to say his name. There was an artist that I was writing for. And I wrote half the song. And I'm in the studio. Come up with the melody. Something said, this doesn't feel right. All of a sudden, when it comes to getting credits for a song, they were like, oh, we changed the song. So there won't, there won't be any credit. That song comes out. And it's the exact same song. Mind you, I'm living in my car at this time, sleeping in different girls' houses and couches and things like that, but majority my car, because that was the one thing that nobody could take away from me. Girlfriend left, owing debt, all this stuff. The song comes out, goes number one, wins a Grammy. And I'm watching my song that I wrote for this artist go number one, wins a Grammy while I'm living in my car. And I said, fuck music, fuck these crazy ass people. I'll figure something else out. That's what I left. I'm like, there's no amount of any kind of fame or celebrity or money that will make me stay in something as toxic as that music industry. 
one thing I love about you, and I love hearing more of your stories about it, I love how much you're trusting your feelings. Yeah. There's something- And in, I didn't know this at that no, time. there's something in there around you're just like, it's a common thing I'm noticing for myself and everyone where they're like, we're getting further away from what we know is our truth. Yeah. And it's interesting that you knew your truth and you kept trying and kept trying and kept trying. How did you go from this music thing? So the music thing didn't work out. I, I am curious from the business perspective, a lot of our audiences is young yeah. entrepreneurs. How'd you go from there to making your first million? Because like so, that's the jump that I think a lot of people are curious about. Yeah. So the beautiful thing is just like if, if for any of my martial artists out there, you know that when you go from white belt to the next belt, you don't leave your last discipline. So all the modeling, all the acting, all the entertainment that I thought I failed at, I didn't know I carried those disciplines with me. When it came to being in the health and wellness field, and it came to creating attraction online, I was this person who could sing, who could dance, who looked good, who knew about fashion, who knew how to do certain poses and photos and make anything that I touch look desirable. Because I come from the fashion industry, the entertainment industry, and whether I knew it or not, I was getting trained up on all of this. If I could just, I knew just enough. I wasn't an expert in any of it, but it was enough when somebody just comes in and health and wellness, they just do that. But then you get this unicorn who comes in, who's passionate, who wears freaking bow ties and like tight red pants, who talks about health and wellness, who's an advocate for personal growth and who's speaking like very well on stage and all this, and then starts posting it online. So many people who knew me from my past was like, that's not the same dude I grew up with. Something is different. What is it? I had a product to offer and I just kept pointing to the product. So people this saw- Herbalife. This is Herbalife? The, yeah, so people saw the change in me and they're like, what's your change? I was like, I got healthy. So they seen the change in me first. I didn't sell a product. They bought whatever they saw that would take me from there to where I am happy, 35, 37 pounds down, like in that little kid energy, excited, passionate, confident, fully expressed, taking risks, joyful child, permission. And then people spent money on the permission and I pointed them to the product. So over time, I started developing and crafting with people and clients and coaching and leadership. And I said to myself, I wonder if this will work out in the real world because I was in a bubble for a while. So once somebody asked me to be on a panel and there was a couple other celebrities on a panel that were well-known names and they had this unknown person because they saw me on a Facebook Live doing a Q&A. They were like, you're the kind of person we need on this panel in the UK. We'll fly you out there first class. We don't have anybody like you that can speak raw and real and just be straight up. And I was like, all right, cool. I didn't know who was going to be on that panel. Man, let me tell you something. It was some big names on that panel. And then when I got up and I shared what I shared and I shared my story and I was just like this younger version of an Eric Thomas, but my flair was a little different because I, I didn't have the, the over energy like that. It was, I had a little bit of that, a little bit of Tony Robbins, a little bit of John C. Maxwell. And I was super eclectic as shit and I was fashionable. And because of my music sense, I knew all about crowd control, voice control, mic control, and how to work the audience. By the time I left there, standing ovation, who 
was that guy. My phone started ringing. Oh, we want to be, we want you here. We want you there. We want you here. We want you there. And I was like, yo, what is happening? Because when my door was open, I didn't give them partial. I gave them something they haven't really seen before. Not in a young black man that can cross over like that in this lane, not like this, that has the story that I, that I have. They haven't really seen that. So I shared. And because of my personal growth and my willingness and dedication to growing as a person and learning and being a student to the game of life, every time I had a breakthrough, I vulnerably share it. So there became a time. This is when I found my purpose. This was all happening. So I'm just happy, happy, go lucky. All this stuff is happening. And then I, it came time to share my real story. I never really shared outwardly that I was living in my car and all this other stuff. I shared that. I posted it online. It's online right now. All my other posts, they would get like 40 likes, 50 likes. And I shared, you think you know me? You have no idea. I'm a womanizer. I do this. I've cheated. I've done this. I've done this. I'm living in my car. However, this is not where I'm going to stay. Five years, I'm going to retire my mom. In less time than that, I'm going to be a multimillionaire. Don't feel sorry for me, but mark my words. And I posted that online. First message I got was from somebody said, when you shared your testimony, I put the gun down. Fifth message, somebody shared your story. I didn't drive my car off a bridge. Thank you for your strength. And in that moment, I knew I was supposed to be the voice of the voiceless. I said, I will never stop sharing my story. I will never stop being vulnerable and I'll never stop opening myself up because if anything that I go through, hard as it is to share, can support anybody out there who will remain voiceless for their life, it's worth it. So I became a high-paid storyteller over and over. And the places where I shared my story, where it landed the most, that's where I got paid the most money. So I became a speaker. And because of my business sense, entrepreneurial sense, they would hire me to come in and speak to these businesses. And I was like, damn, I ain't never trained on this shit, but I just know how to do it because I have more reps than anybody. That, that's one thing I wanted to comment for your story, which is really interesting. Like failure was, was your teacher. Yeah. And persistence was your coach where you did this thing and didn't work out and you just kept going and you did this next thing, music, it didn't work out, but you kept the lessons. And I think that's actually kind of a, an interesting like, like thread throughout the whole piece, yeah. which is like, all right, I learned some music, I learned some sales, I learned some fashion. And then you pulled that all together within when you joined Herbalife, which I think is your first business. And I, and I love how you transitioned that to coaching, transition that to your next business now. What's the difference between you? I think you're like number one, I heard. You were like number one in the whole company. At one point. You were number one at the end in high school, and now you're the number one in, in a huge company. Like, what did you do differently <laughs> than everybody else? I think, like I said, uh, energy can't be created nor destroyed. It can only be transferred. I never knew where to put it. Most people don't never know where to put the energy. So they put that in alcohol. They put it in drugs. They put it in their insecurities. They put it in their justifications, overcompensating to fit inside of a peer group. They, they spread their, their selves too thin. Once I locked in, there was nothing you could tell me. There was nothing another woman could tell me. There was nothing that any of my old habits, they were all demagnetized because my commitment was too strong. Once I knew why I was here, what I'm here to do, oh, I locked in, bro. And it was like, sleep? What's that? Like, I couldn't help myself but to be there and help more people. And then all of a sudden, I realized I had abs like an action figure. I was stronger than the average man. I was saving and changing lives all over the world. I was like, wait a second. When I was a little kid, 
I said I want to be a superhero. So did I manifest the very life that I'm living right now? Because I've never seen a superhero not go through hard times in order to discover his powers. I was like, wait a second. I'm a fucking superhero. And my cape are the millions of lives that have been impacted because I chose to follow my true deep down joys, true deep down passions. They were connected to something big, but I couldn't see the big, but I could feel what brought me joy. And that is what was connected to something. Most people, they abandon their joys by the time they're five, six years old. Oh, it runs in the family. I'm going to do what my dad does. I'm going to do what my mom does. I'm going to do what my friends do. I'm going to do what the peer does. I'm going to do what my skin color does. I'm going to do, and then you got a box inside of a box inside of a box. Now, you know, you're in a prison inside of a prison inside of a prison. And I think because I didn't let school box me in. I didn't let my mom box me in. See, I got, I was hard-headed. Well, does hard-headed mean I didn't follow your way? Well, you weren't happy. So if you're teaching me based off of narrative of not being happy, well, it's going to be natural that I'm going to grow up not being happy. So because I was hard-headed, because I got kicked out of school, it kind of freed me from the domestication that most people stay in prison in. Do you regret not going to college? You regret no, staying? not at all. Do you think it's worth it for other people to go to college? Um, it depends on what, you, what, you, what you're going. If you want to be an astrophysicist, go to college, bro. <laughs> go to college because you ain't going to find that other training somewhere else. It's like, I will never say not to go to school, but if, I, if you feel something that not up well up inside of you where you feel, I do not belong here and something is driving you and it's something that's a magnetic force. I would say to honor it because your subconscious mind knows more than you do. Like that feeling, that little voice inside knows more than you do. If you would have stayed in college, let's say you grinded it through and you just persisted, where do you think you'd be today? Bro, that's so hard to even think about because I can't even imagine myself graduating uh, college. I can't even see it. That's how disconnected I was from it. But it's so funny because I have a friend, he was studying to be a, a take over his dad's practice to be a, a heart surgeon. So he had been in school for like, bro, 15 years. I'm like, bro, I would never. After college, I'm not doing no 15 years to get the big money. Bro, it was 15 years from the time I got out of prison to the time I was homeless, to the time I caught my big break, to the time I started making money. I still went to school for 15 years. And I'm like, Either way you go, you're going to have to get your education somewhere. Just make sure that the education that you're getting is going towards the thing that you actually want to do. And not you just learning shit because you're learning shit. I ain't ever used a pie, like a square root. I haven't since I learned it. We're going to use it in your business, dude. <laughs> Bro, like, I got accountants, but I, I wasn't going to school for accounting. I haven't even seen pies, square root. I haven't seen that in a long time, bro. Why? It's the education system designed in such a way that you teach kids the majority of the things that they don't actually use. Why is emotional intelligence not taught in schools? Oh, the, well, their brain, their brain doesn't develop at this time. Well, then tell me why a seven-year-old kid knows six different languages that lives in Europe. I promise you they can absorb it. If they can absorb dad beating mom, and then all of a sudden they grow up hitting on women, Oh, they can uh, absorb emotional intelligence. Why is that not being taught? Why did they remove choir, the arts, 
physical fitness. Why they remove a lot of these things from our younger children? Don't get me on that topic. If someone's watching and they're like thinking about dropping out of college and their goal was to make a million or make some money, let's just call it a million. Like what would your advice to them be? One, I would say don't take my route. There's actually a, a better and cleaner way. And now I teach people how to compress timeframes because my route led me to prison, led me wanting to kill myself and doing all these things, hurting, like, like emotionally hurting family. Like that's not worth it. However, if you can learn how to compress timeframes, what I now teach is never leave something unless you have a plan. Never leave something unless you have a plan. Two men working in McDonald's, one person is just working for money. The other person has a plan to leave McDonald's, but he has a plan for why he's at McDonald's because he plans to open up a chain of restaurants one day. So every single time he goes to McDonald's, he's going to his future chain of restaurants, learning about what he wants to do, what he doesn't want to do, the kind of people he wants to work around, what kind of boss he's going to be, what kind of boss he's not going to be. Night and day, the results of the context and come from of the two different people the one who's just showing up for payday and the one who has a plan and a plan for exiting will produce insurmountable results. Is there any industries or categories or things you're, you, you encourage people to do if they're trying to make a million dollars and they're not going to college? Like, go try out music, go try out. I would ask, why is a million dollars important to you? That's the first, when I'm coaching right. people, oh, I want to be successful. What does successful mean to you? Because what I thought success meant was the guy with all the cars, all the money, all of this, and then he put a fucking bullet into his brain. Well, he had everything but himself. Maybe I need to rethink what success is. So my version of success, first, before I even get to a million, is when I look in the mirror and the truth shows up and nobody is around, do I love what I see? Am I happy? Do I respect what I see, really? And then before I go to bed at night, there's no voices in my head and it's peaceful and it's calm. That is what I decided what success was going to be for me. But what it took for me to reach that level and still working on it was the person with the cars, the houses, the girl, the woman, the family, the influence, the businesses, the impact. So who I became, money always matches. You can force it, but eventually money's going to always come back because we're the most powerful magnet in the world. And I can tell you the things to do to make the, the million dollars, but I want you to borrow the mentality. There's a lot of people that make a lot of money, but they can't keep it. I always say, how long can you keep it? How long can you keep it? Sustainability is what's not taught. Why? Because most people don't know how to keep it. Oh, no, this is a part of it. No, but if you understand energy, you understand the wavelength of how nature flows, well, then this one thing drops. If you play your cards right, then you already have something else that balances it out because the flow of life is always keeping you above water. And if you're always above water and you're sustaining that over a long period of time, you'll win in any, in any industry. So what I want to leave you with is, what does success mean to you? If you put a dollar amount over a people amount, you have already failed because you'll have all that stuff. You'll look around, you'll have no family. So decide and decide really clear why is it important to you to be successful and what does success mean? Then why a million dollars? Could it be 10,000? Could it be this? Could it be, why specifically a million? And once you decide why a million, what would you do with that million? Because if you don't know, that's why you won't have it.
be before you can become. So if you know what you would do for it, what you would do with it, oh, you know, I would work in the orphanages and I would do this thing right here and I would do that. And I was like, that doesn't require a million dollars. So could you go do that now? So what I do is I flip it. Go and do all the behaviors. And then the behaviors lead you to the currency to holistically attract millions of dollars. Million won't seem like a lot once you realize just how powerful you are. And I don't want people to get into a trap like, okay, you get all this money. Well, then why does 99% of the people who win the Powerball go bankrupt the next year? Because they didn't develop into the kind of person that can hold it, sustain it, or grow it. So let's grow it. Let's grow you. Let's sustain you. And let's increase your capacity because when your capacity is open, when you take two cars out of the two-car garage, you can actually put in new cars. So when you create the space, you make room for your blessings. I can tell you the million-dollar story, but everybody does that. What they don't tell you is who you get to become while attracting whatever level of money that you want. If you miss the who you become, then you become the person who puts a bullet into their brain. Maybe not physically, but you'll do it with the alcohol. You'll do it with the sex. You'll do it with the porn. You'll do it with the excuses. You'll do it with the overcompensation. My thing is, you actually don't need all of that, but you do need all of you. When you have all of you and you believe wholeheartedly and you're living from inside out and you're using joy as your compass, your life will always match. It has to, it's a law. Whatever the health of the seed determines the growth of the tree and the fruit that it produces. The last thing though I was, I was curious about, you said you read a lot and you got a lot of self, self-help and personal development books. You want to call out some of the ones that you think everyone is like, like the must read for people that are, are looking to figure out success and figure out the mentalities? So I read, I've lost count now, but it's definitely over 300 times, The Power of Positive Thinking by Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. It's a book on positivity and learning more about yourself and forgiveness and letting go of resentment. And it's a faith-based book, but they use the principles that anybody can use. The reason why I kept reading it so many times, I heard this quote that says by Bruce Lee, fear not the man that practices a thousand kicks. Fear the man that practices one kick a thousand times. Many people read a lot of books, but they don't master a lot of books. So they read it for memory. And I just kept reading it over and over and over until the book started reading me. When the book is reading you, then your life looks like the information that's stored in your brain. So that book, The Power of Positive Thinking, The Power by Rhonda Byron, she's the lady who created The Secret. The Power is all about loving yourself, self-love. And I know that we hear these things like, oh man, sleep is for suckers. It's all about the grind. Look at those people by the time they're 55 and look at their state of health. Nothing that I do, I'm doing it for a short-term pleasure. Can I see myself doing it 75, 80 years from now? That's what I want. I want the long-term sustainable life. So this teaches you how to regulate your nervous system every day, to love yourself every day, to believe in yourself every day. And you take that same thing and then you put it inside your structures and system and then you give that to your culture. And they feel like they're a part of a family. They feel like they're a part of something much bigger than just a dollar amount. Now, what you got is a winning culture. There's winning businesses, then there's winning culture. When it goes beyond the business, when it goes beyond the business, that's why the people will stay because of the culture. So there's The Power by Rhonda Byrnes. You heard of Think and Grow Rich, but a few people have read um, Grow Rich with Peace of Mind. A lot of rich people I know that are very poor, 
because they don't know how to handle their lives when money comes. But this Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, Grow Rich with Peace of Mind, it teaches you how to earn wealth in a peaceful way. And the magic of life is in the calm. You can remain calm under any circumstance. You will always be the person that's narrating where the next right step is going to go because you didn't lose yourself by reacting. So grow rich with peace of mind. The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace D. Waddles. Such a great freaking book. The formulas are crazy. The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace D. Waddles. Stephen Pressfield, he has a book called The Art of War, but he has a, this other book that got for, it was like 37 cents. I was like, what is this? It's called Do the Work. Do the Work by Stephen Pressfield. And he has a formula for being able to navigate through resistance. He talks about resistance all the time. And I was like, yo, this is so good because this is what happens every time I'm up against something big, I attract the equal of its resistance. So he talks about the formula. I just use formulas all the time. So do the work by Stephen Pressfield. And I would say those four for me, I read other books, but these are ones that I just keep all the time, all the time. You hear me, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening. And then as I started growing in my leadership, pretty much anything by John C. Maxwell, but 360 degree leader teaches you how to lead from every area teaches you how to lead as the person that's taking out the trash, lead from the front, lead from the back, lead from the side, lead as a woman, lead as a man. It talks about 360 degree leader. And then once I became just more aware and more conscious, I started reading this book called Conscious Leadership. I forgot who did that book, but for all of the artists, the little kid inside, there's a book called The Artist's Way by uh, Julia Cameron. And it talks about how little kids lose their way when they're younger, how they lose their initial happiness, they lose their initial joy, and what happens when the parents say things to strip it away. And she brings so much awareness and teaches you how to tap into that that power again. And once you tap into that zest, that feel the frequency, the way your intuition works, your the way that you manifest, the way that you attract things, be at an all-time high because that's what kids do all the time. They're just not aware when they're little kids. And the last book, I would say, right at almost 100,000 copies, no paid ads. We're about to start doing some paid ads. This is just straight from the horse's mouth. On Amazon, Change Your Mindset, Change Your Life in Spanish and English. It is a book that I wrote, all the stories that you heard tonight, all the lessons I learned from them, and how you can apply them to your life. However. I wrote this book really practically. It's very simple. I can speak in much higher levels, but I wrote it very simple. Because a lot of times you don't need the hard language to get how simple life could be if you focused on a few things that could change and alter the course of your life. Well, that is a wrap. I hope you loved the episode as much as we did making it for you. Go give Garen some love at garenjones.com. That's G-A-R-R-A-I-N, Jones. And get his book on Amazon, Change Your Mindset, Change Your Life, Lessons of Love, Leadership, and Transformation. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, dog, let's go swap the best books we read together. And before you go, tweet at me, Instagram me, TikTok me, at Noah Kagan. I love hearing what y'all thought about these episodes. Also, remember to go subscribe to my email list. I put my best tips into a single short email each week. That's okdork.com. 
Finally, a couple shout-outs to the amazing team that helps make all this happen, Jason at podcasttech.com. This podcast, before you guys hear him, is just garbage, and then he turns them into diamonds. Diamond! Is that the Rihanna song? Thank you to Mitchell, Jeremy, George, Cam, Sasa, Nikki, and Jen from the Dork Team for all the magic y'all do. And finally, huge shout-out to the AppSumo business development team for rocking it at SaaS stock. I think Brendan signed a contract on a piece of napkin. It looked really impressive. We've come a long way from me working in a basement in San Francisco. Have a moment to stay. What's your favorite candle scent? <laughs>